Back home again in dear old Elmhurst, and it seems that I can see the gleaming French porch lights still burning bright through the seven wards of trees. The backyard skunks send all their fragrance through the streets I used to roam. When I dream about the moonlight on her salt creek, how I long for my great big Elmer's home. Golly! And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another edition of the E-Town Lowdown. Got my good friends PK and Malort with me. How are you guys? Great. Very good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Special We're... guest today. Yeah, he's uh, not too keen on uh, being in the hot tub, so he's standing outside. Oh. Something about germs, I don't know. Didn't seem to hesitate in throwing on the Speedo. So why don't you introduce <laughs> our uh, guest tonight, PK? Well, uh, okay. <laughs> our guest is Daniel J. Cronin. Uh, DuPage County Chairman right now, but we're going to learn more about his life. Um, Dan, uh, longtime Elmhurst resident, happy to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I'm pleased to spend a little time with you fellas. Are you really? Uh, <laughs> we'll <I am>. see. <laughs> I wouldn't have agreed to do it if I didn't want to. The jury's still out. Yeah. So, Dan, you you spent most of your life in Elmhurst. Did you... Were you born in Elmhurst? Uh, did you- I was born in West Suburban Hospital in Oak Park on Austin Boulevard. And then at that time, we lived at Laramie and Chicago Avenue. My dad uh, was a doctor at St. Anne's Hospital and uh, Loretto Hospital. And we lived in a like a two-flat or four-flat. I was a fifth child. We lived above my grandfather's uh uh, doctor's office. My grandfather was a doc in the west side, kind of an old-time doctor, used to make house calls. He was a chief of staff at St. Anne's. I don't know why I was born at West Suburban, but but nevertheless, um, <clears throat> yeah, so then we moved out when I was about one years old. Was that here at Elmhurst? Right, Elmhurst. And is that in the, the big house that, you know, the Cronin Castle, we call it? Yeah, yeah, big old house. It was, and so that was uh, you guys were the first people living there, or and no, no, that house was. Well, I don't like mean a, first of the Cronins. It wasn't like your grandparents lived in that. Yeah, house. correct. Okay. My mom yeah. and dad bought that house. Um, it's funny. I always thought it was yours. I mean, you know, the yeah, families. yeah, 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 yeah. No, they they moved there in 1960, December of 1960. When my dad moved out here, I mean, his friends and other family members thought we were moving to, like, Iowa. Right. I remember Elmhurst used to sort of be the end of the line to some people from Chicago. Yeah. 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 And where do you fall in line in your family? I'm number five out of nine, so I'm smack dab in the middle. I've got two older brothers and two older sisters and two younger brothers and two younger sisters. Do you uh, you actually remember all their names? We're not going to ask you to say them, but... (laughs) It's got to yeah. be rough. 
No, I, yeah, it's like second nature. Right Nephew, now. How many nephews and nieces? Just so we're kind of jumping here, but I'm just curious. You must have. My mom's got like 48 grandchildren or something Oh, my like gosh. That. Yeah. I, I, I changes by the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she got her second great-grandchild just, uh, uh, or no, second great-grandchild on the way. So we had a celebration over the weekend. My are, niece is expecting. Are your parents Chicagoans? Yes. Yes, they were both born in Chicago. Did you, where did, you, where, where did your mom, your mom grow up in Chicago? Did she, she didn't happen to go to Rosary back in the day, did she? She went to Rosary yeah, okay. College. That's, That's correct. correct. I thought my mom had a connection yeah. with her like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she went to Rosary. So what's your earliest memory of Elmhurst? Um, riding, I got great memories of Elmhurst. I, 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 I remember a kid, you know, building forts in the backyard, dragging two by fours home from alexander lumber company i remember riding my schwinn bicycle up spring road to hank's corner and i remember putting pennies on the railroad tracks there oh, yeah you know and waiting for the train to come by and then looking at it afterwards how flat it was and yeah. that's illegal though yeah to well, deface currency you remember that derailment in <laughs> 1966 yeah right. the statute you know anything of lim- about that the statute of limitations has passed yeah, we we probably had a little bit of concern about that back then. <laughs> um, Dan, where were the hangouts when you were a kid in Elmhurst? Where was the happening? Place there was for no kids? fountain. Tom, right? when I was in seventh grade, sixth and seventh grade, Tom Tarsitano's house because he had uh, old style <laughs> beer in the uh, Arlington and South, right? Exactly. Yeah, and he had a mini bike, and we used to ride it around town. So it's Tom, you you were Tom's age, or yeah. Tom's age, yeah. yeah, yeah. God rest his soul. Yeah, right. Yeah. So and, yeah, and that was, was uh, so. But you're riding a mini bike, so that was maybe before high school, right? Yeah, I think like sixth grade or something. You know, we and it didn't matter whether it was on the street or it was on the did sidewalk you, or you know. high school. You went to Fenwick. I did. Yeah, and then uh, was that something that the, your bro- older brothers had done as well? Or? Yeah, my dad went there. And uh, I was a swimmer, and they didn't have a swim team either at York or a fledgling team, and they didn't have one at IC. I, I love IC, the Catholic prep, and I, I think York High School is a fabulous place. Um, but yeah, no, is I went Timothy to okay too? Timothy, as long as you're covering your bases, like, like <laughs> we got a politician on, guys. He's got to. Yeah. No, we have. My is only it point nice is, we have so many good choices. We have fabulous schools in town. Fenwick's a fine place too. I went there; it was a family tradition, and I was a swimmer, and that was one of the main reasons. And why. You, you continued on to swim in college, right? I did. I went. I got to wear a purple speedo. I went to Northwestern <laughs> and uh, swam for. Unlike that. the one you have on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for wearing the black. <laughs> it's slimming. <laughs> and before Fenwick, you went to IC grade school, right? I did. I did, yeah. Yeah, it was a great experience there. And my kids went to IC grade school, and there were a couple teachers that uh, that taught me that were there and taught my children, which was really um, a wonderful, gratifying experience. And they didn't hold the experience with you against your kids, I hope. Oh, yeah. That was important that they didn't. You know, you're exactly right about that, right? I have a vague memory of playing football with you, but that must have been in grade school. Yeah. Yeah, we you, played. When did you graduate high school? We graduated high school 77. So you were two years ahead of me. So like when I was in uh, sixth grade, you were uh, in eighth grade. Yeah. Good Tom math. Sybil was the football coach. Yeah. 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 
and Peter Urima was the coach yes. in, uh, I think, fifth and sixth. And Mr. Sybil would pontificate at the end of every practice, which I actually fondly remember. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember yeah. I remember was, that well. He was like a philosophy teacher. He was. He yeah. was an outstanding teacher. Yeah. What color swimsuits did you wear <laughs> at at Fenwick in, in gym class? <laughs> well. Were they flesh-toned? Yeah, we didn't wear swimsuits back in those days for the gym classes. That's there you it. go. But look at now, everybody is you know thinks that sounds pretty freaky, and and by today's standards, it does. But <laughs> just like a lot of things that have historical no pun perspective. But. <laughs> so, but I mean, every I mean that back in the day, if you went to the New York Athletic Club or the Union League or the Chicago Athletic, yeah. I mean, you know, men swam naked. It was like, well, what do you want to wear a swimsuit? We're all men here, you know, and so. But, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, the, yeah. We'll just, <laughs> <laughs> and we digress. Uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. This is a public it's not something. To, it's not something that deserves explanation. So, it just was. Freedom. So I mean, Fenwick. do you like freedom? I mean, I don't know. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good way of putting like it. It's like sleeping in your birthday suit. So you're at Fenwick. What else were you involved in other than swimming that may have shaped your your career, your where you went to college? Um, I don't know. A young guy I was swimming was a big part of my life. Uh, my pals, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I had a lot of fun in my summer jobs. I remember I, when I was a kid I, uh, in high school, I worked at the Oak Brook Bath and Tennis Club, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and we what had, color were the swimsuits? Uh, <laughs> they were Never blue. Okay. They were blue. You kind of hung nice... up on that, aren't you, Rich? Well, I just, <laughs> just wondering if there's a connection there or something. What did you do with the Oak Brook Bath and Tennis Club? Then? I was a swim coach, and I was a lifeguard, and it was a wonderful club back in those days. And then they had – it was private, and and uh, the butlers used to frequent the facility. And, and then we had this saddle club, which was just nearby. I don't know if you recall that place, but it was a wonderful – place a little bar nestled in the woods that was right out and it had windows that looked out into the riding arena so you could look at horses and if you were old enough to hold on to your beer mug um i don't think they had any trouble serving you and uh <laughs> they had like celebrities and people that would show up there because they had polo and then the the western open was at butler and so you'd see yeah. you know pga golfers and other type people and, you know, like, uh, Michael. Like just being a lifeguard. Yeah. Is, uh, I got to know. wear my Speedo over there and hung around with yeah. my, you know, my Check bands. out the gals. I remember Prince Charles came and played polo over yeah. in Oak Brook. And, yeah. And like you said, you had the butlers and the maids and uh, a lot of other folks, <laughs> too, that were over there. Yeah. Michael Butler, remember, he was a producer of Hair, mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. Broadway play. Yeah. And so, yeah. <clears throat> I love the cow sills. How about you, Malort? Can't get enough of them. Oh. <laughs> Dan, I have to ask, being a big swimmer, what was your best stroke? Uh, freestyle. 100, 100 freestyle. State champ, 1977. Seriously? Nice. That's news uh, to me. Is that high school level or college? High or school. 77, you said. Yeah, yeah. So high, we, high school. We thought we had a big nothing here tonight. We <laughs> now we're <laughs> impressed, Dan. No, no. I, it was oh, a, that's pretty impressive. Oh, break out the good scotch. 400 freestyle <laughs> relay. It was one of four. So it was a lot of fun. Found when it was, uh, yeah. So that's that, awesome. That's about, great. About a long time ago and about 30 pounds ago. 
probably, Pooley, probably helped you get into North. I mean, not of course you would have gotten it anyway, but it was a feather in your cap at going to North Northwestern. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, being a good athlete was helpful. Yeah, being a was, Big Ten athlete there. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. So, yeah. who are the other three guys on the relay? Uh, Russ Curry, uh, Jonas Zamantis, exchange student. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, John Neighbors. Yeah, no, that's a good name uh, from the past. <laughs> Russ Curry, Jonas Mantis, and uh, and Joe Went. Wow, good yeah. good recall. Yeah, we didn't even prep you on that one. I think I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't matter; they're not listening. <laughs> so you went on to Northwestern. I did. Yeah. What did you major in, and why? Uh, I was an econ major, economics. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, at the time, uh, they didn't have a business school, so you know, if you wanted to study something related to business, a lot of people did were econ majors. They have a graduate school of business, but they didn't have an undergrad school. And uh, yeah, and I went there, uh, and it was I got to enjoy during my tenure at Northwestern the longest losing streak of any uh, D1 football program. Were you there when the when they finally broke it? Um, I think I had graduated and I came back. It was against Northern Illinois University, and they took the goalpost down. And the crazy kids, they took it, the, tried to carry him and put it in the lake. But uh, yeah, I was happy that they broke the streak. It was I, kind of. A, I just, well, I shouldn't say this, but uh, I'll say it a different way. So Kevin Strasser was recruited from IC to go to Northwestern as a quarterback during that time. Yes, yes, I remember. Now it, Kevin. Now it all makes sense to me. I remember Kevin coming over to our dorm, and he had a he had a pal that was in the dorm, a guy named Dan Greenberg, and uh, and Dan and there was a little Elmhurst crowd. Dan Greenberg, uh, Margaret, um, brilliant woman, uh, what's her name again? I can't remember. And uh, Andy Cedar. Do you remember oh, these people? No. Yeah. Um, I know you know Margaret's family, a uh, prominent family, and I can't remember her last name at the moment. But in any event, yeah, so I used to hang out. And, uh, yeah, he was the quarterback, and I used to come by our dorm. and Yeah. But you were the state champion swimmer, so. Yeah. I was. Yeah. I was I was concerned about You could hold your own lungs. with him. <laughs> yes, I didn't. I wanted to make sure that I was only inhaling clean Oh, that's right. It was the air. 70s or 80s. <laughs> yeah. And you did or did not swim at Northwestern? I did swim there, yes. And, and you did or did not inhale? Um, I inhaled chlorine water frequently <laughs> and would cough afterwards. Nice. Do you swim anymore? I I was more diligent about it, um, and I'd like to get back into it, um, but I kind of fallen off the my. So I go to the. Uh, I was going to the courts, but now with the COVID and everything, I've been going down to the basement and getting on our treadmill. We have a little workout thing. I try to do that. At least once a week, you know. <laughs> well, that's one more time than some of us get on a treadmill. <laughs> no, I'm trying. I don't know. I, get, I go through streaks. I, I try. And I was doing a, go, a, a class with a handful of guys at the courts. We were doing a um, uh, fitness for golfers. And it wow. Was, it was nice. Uh, Bill Haggerty was in the class. Yeah. And uh, it was nice. A lot of core work. and A lot of drinking? No, it was 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> they don't start drinking until 8. Come on. <laughs> Do they have a fitness for card players? <laughs> yes, how to sit up straight, how to hold your 
do your does your hand get tired when you're like I play gin rummy with the kids a lot and my arm yeah. gets tired. You have to get cramps out of they your They have little thumbs. holders now. I've do seen they? the older women use those. <laughs> <laughs> what about older men? Maybe I could use one of those. <laughs> older men can use them too, PK. So yeah. anyway, uh, Northwestern and then uh, so what what happened after that? Went to law school, night school, and I, I thought I was going to work at the Board of Trade. My brother Brian was a was a trader, had a, and I worked for him during the day, and then I went to law school at night. I had a lot of fun in those days. Never thought twice about it. Left early in the morning, went to work. Did then, you wear the little uh, penny or whatever, the little the, sh- the schmuck? Yeah, the yeah. schmuck yeah. jacket thing. You used to trade Pokemon cards, didn't you? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Not willing to admit it anymore, huh? Yeah. Again, I so plead, that whole, plead the Fifth Amendment. Was that whole life down in you know on a trading floor just crazy? Yeah, I I thought it was exciting and fun and um, crazy and I, money. And I even tried it a little. I made an effort to try to trade for a brief moment. You know, I went instead of buying a car when I was uh, you know in uh, law school, I bought a I, I bought a minor membership there for like eighteen thousand dollars. And it, it was uh, options on um, treasury bills or T-bills, T 10-year notes or something. It was a real small, not a lot of uh, uh, volume. Yeah. And um, I remember I used to get nervous when the market would go against me, and I <clears throat> wasn't really that good at it. You know, I tried, <laughs> but I wasn't good at it. I couldn't afford to lose any money. But you were going to night school at that time yes, to, to become an attorney. Yes. Yes. And where was that at, Dan? I went to Loyola. And I really liked it a lot. I had more fun in law school than I did in college uh, because I would get off uh, work at the Board of Trade. It was actually the CBO and get off there. And and so the idea was that I was supposed to go leave there and go up to the law school and go study for a few hours before class would start at like 6 or 7. But in order to get from the red line, you know, the the, uh, subway, to the front door of Loyola Law School, you had to walk past the Emerald Isle. Uh. And, you know, I mean, I'd walk there by and I'd see people in the bar and like night day students would be in there, friends of mine and others, and I'd say, hey. Your Irish heritage was calling. What could I do? Yeah. So I wasn't exactly on the law review. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to law school. At what point do you determine what, type of law you're going to practice does that happen after law school during law school so um there's a lot of questions about me and i'm not uh i i really appreciate this and i'm happy to talk about it but let's talk about you guys at some point here but um uh, <laughs> we we don't do that <laughs> malort uh when did you determine that you were going to be a brain surgeon i determined early on i wasn't going to law school <laughs> No, but really, did you did you determine while you were yeah, in school? Yeah, kinda. I I, I think it, so. That's a good question. So I think I really I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. I was working at the board of trade. I was in law school, and then I really liked law when I uh, I I tried out and I was I was on I was on the trial team. I was the captain of the trial team. So I went both ways for Loyola Law School's trial team. Um, that means defense and prosecution. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, right. <laughs> I saw Rich raises eyebrow there about both ways. What did I mean by that? 
But um, but yeah, no, I really really enjoyed that a lot, and we had a great uh, team of coaches, and we had some folks from you know a guy from the U.S. Attorney's Office, and we had a you know a retired judge, and and it was so much fun. I enjoyed it immensely, and I thought, geez, I got to get into this. I got to be a trial lawyer. So that was kind of the inspiration that I didn't want to deal with the board of trade anymore, and the fact that I knew I wasn't really that good at it. And, uh, and I seem to enjoy and have some success at um, a trial practice in, in the law. So, so that was the direction I went. And so when I got out of law school, I went and worked at the state's attorney's office. That's awesome because I've watched trial lawyers do their thing, and that's an that's incredible skill. How many times have you been tried anyway? <laughs> Actually, when I went to school in the city for a brief period of time, I used to— Okay, enough about PK— <laughs> hey, this is important. I used to go sit and watch uh, trials uh, over at the federal building, and it was amazing. I mean, it, it was very impressive. I, yeah. I, I, when I, I worked later on, I mean, I, I, I used to, uh, yeah, I would go visit. I, then yeah. I shifted and started working in the attorney general's office and during the last year of law school, and I used to love to go over to the federal building and watch trials. Yeah. They had Graylord going on at the time, and it was uh, yeah, a lot it's of really cool. Yeah. Did you have any mentors in law school? I like Dick, the bartender at General uh, <laughs> Lyle. He was a really friendly fellow. Strong pores? Does that have to do with the law review thing you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no professors or anything like that. that oh, there were fabulous teachers at Loyola. I, I helped you decide. Yeah, you know, Dick Michael, Nina Appel, uh, you know, there were just fabulous teachers there. It's just a wonderful institution. But so, I mean, are we are we starting to open our eyes to public service, or are you still just thinking about the law at this point? Um, I was interested in public service. I actually worked for a congressman back in college, hmm. um, so that was kind of the spark a little bit. And I was kind of an odd child, young person. I walked precincts and helped out, like, Senator Dick Walsh was a friend of my dad's. He was a state senator from uh, from River Forest, and so I had some experience with that. And then I did—I guess I'm going back in time. I did when I was at, in college. I worked for Congressman Porter, John Porter, and um, you may recall back in the '80s, the early '80s. I graduated in '81, so late '70s. Um, the Northwestern in Evanston was in the 10th congressional district. Back in those days, they would have these knockdown, drag out races, and and they'd come within the narrowest of margins. It was a real battleground area. That 10th congressional district. It's moved up north now, and it's not the same anymore. The whole state's not the same anymore. But but um, Abner Mikva, you may recall, he was a really very popular. Um, with students, I mean, kids would wear these these sweatshirts said Mikva, just the word Mikva with an exclamation point on it, and I thought it was really cool. You know, I wanted to be part of it, and um, I didn't really have a strong philosophical position at that time, but I was interested in politics, and um, and uh, but everybody, you know, the, so I went down to volunteer for Mikva, and you know, all the jobs were taken, and you know, they kind of kind of banished me to the you know the waiting room and. So then I left there and just kind of walking back to campus, and I saw this sleepy little office over here, and it was the Republican, and it was John Porter. And uh, so I walked in there, and next thing you know, I was the campus coordinator for Porter's campaign. <laughs> and he lost to Mikva by a really, really narrow margin in 1980. But then he was immediately appointed to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, the president at the time appointed him to the appellate court, the U.S. Court of Appeals. And so there was a vacancy, and then there was a special election. 
And Porter ran again against a guy named Weinberger. There's a lot of detail here. But in any event, he won against Weinberger, and then he did pretty well on Northwestern campus. And he invited me to come and work in D.C. So my senior year, uh, second semester, I, I uh, um, actually starting in January um, in, uh, of that 1981, I worked in Washington, D.C., and that's when Ronald Reagan was uh, sworn in as our president, and it was a very heady time to be in that uh, town. And so I came back from that uh, wanting to get into politics at some point in my life, very motivated. So were you out there for a month or two or for a uh, semester? Or? Yeah, for the qu- period of time of the semester. It was actually a quarter, so it was just because Northwestern's on quarter. So, so people who do that that are you know still getting their education, getting their feet wet, how do they afford to live out there? I lived at the Woodner, and um, so it was. I had the best of all worlds. I don't think they do these deals anymore, but I got paid, and I got grades. I got uh, I got like four A's, and I got I got a I got paid. You know, so I, they don't do that anymore. I think you get paid, or you get you get credit, but you don't get both. So I had made enough money to pay, and they had some student housing there. You know, it wasn't luxurious, but it was it worked. And uh, a lot of kids, students that worked on Capitol Hill from all over the country, and and uh, you got to you got to get the bug when you're in the in that environment. You know, yeah, everybody's involved in politics. Yeah, out we were there. we yeah. were so focused on the purple speedo in college, we forgot to talk about this. <laughs> no, but everybody in D.C. is you know they're either a politician or a, or, or an attorney or going to law school. I know, yeah. but I yeah. I'm so turned off by D.C. these days. I think it's just the whole thing is broken. Quite frankly, yeah, interesting. So you came back from that, and then what, what happened next in your uh, education slash career? So yeah, I went law school, graduated from law school, went to work in the state's attorney's office with uh, for Jim Ryan. He was the state's attorney. I loved it, prosecuting criminals and crime, and um, I, you know, it was just, I, I loved that job. It was very rewarding, felt like, you know, helping out victims and trying to make things right, and, you know, and so it was a really wonderful experience, and then, and then... Um, yeah. So, yeah. So then I was interested in running for office. And you may recall, Rich, uh, we had a state rep, a longtime state rep in town, um, you know, a nice guy, a good man named Gene Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah. And so Gene. School uh, teacher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I taught at Fenton. Actually. And, and yeah. Mayor Morley's uh, stepfather or something. Yeah. 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 Really good yeah. man. God yeah. rest his soul. Good guy. But so I don't know. Many people don't remember this, but but he had announced, or it was well known, it was published in the newspaper that he was going to be stepping aside from that position as state representative because he was seeking, and he pretty much announced that he was going to be the next state superintendent of schools. Um, that was what he, you know. So everybody thought he, there was going to be gone, and everybody thought there was going to be a vacancy, and. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, I went and met kind of the party leaders and said, I, you know, I'm interested in this. And, and, um, and they had a couple other candidates that were kind of ahead of me in line, you know, and, um, and uh, it became apparent to me that, that, you know, for this appointment process that, that I wasn't, wasn't going to be the favorite guy. And it kind of occurred to me that, you know, well, geez, Gene Hoffman was there for 24 years. And if they appoint somebody to succeed him, this next guy might be there for 24 years. And so this this might be my only shot if I want to do it. So so when I made a decision to run for that office, my decision was based on the, the belief 
that was well-founded at the time that there would be a vacancy in that office. And uh, But lo and behold, what happened was Governor Thompson, <clears throat> for some reason or other, did not appoint Gene Hoffman to the state superintendent of schools position. He didn't get it. He decided to stay. I had already announced my candidacy. I was out there. And it was, um, it was, uh, so I ended up running against a, an incumbent who was uh, beloved by a lot of folks, and, and I got lucky and I won. So you ran against Gene Hoffman, th- thinking that you were going to take a spot, but then he, you stayed in the race? I, I ran for the office not knowing that yeah. it would be Gene right. Hoffman right, as right, my right. opponent. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, interesting. On that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Pamela Dunley as president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital. I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine. When I need a good laugh, I tune into the E-Town Lowdown. And you should too. Give it a try. And now, it's time for another installment of One Ponce a Time with Lowdown legend PK and his overly enthused yesteryear expert friend, Elmhurst History Museum director, Dave Oberg. Hey, boys and girls. Did you know that one ponce a time Elmhurst was home to one of Illinois' premier roller skating rinks? From 1956 to 1989, the Elm Roller Rink sign, a giant roller skate, beckoned avid skaters from Chicago and the suburbs. With its state-of-the-art 20,000 square foot hard maple floor, the Elm was one of Chicagoland's biggest rinks, a massive pipe organ, played by talented musicians such as Tony Talman and Paul Swiderski, set the tempo for casual skaters and competitive members of the Elm Skate Club. All right, so let's dig a little deeper. Yeah, so roller skating dates back to the 19th century, but its heyday came in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. In mid-century America, roller skating was the nation's number one participatory sport, and avid skaters actually called themselves rink rats. Now, Chicago is the epicenter of the movement, and popular rinks like the Armory, the White Palace, and the Riverview Rink were just a quick train ride away. But as the suburbs grew, skating rinks moved west, and none could hold a candle to the elm. When Bill and Lynn Fuchs built the elm, they invested in a state-of-the-art hard maple floor with layers of sound deadening material beneath. This greatly reduced noise and gave skaters a smooth surface upon which to perform, aided by a fine coat of rosin. They also invested in a custom 1,000-pipe Wurlitzer organ the size of a double-wide garage, which was suspended above the floor. The master of the organ was Tony Tallman, who treated the Wurlitzer the way a car enthusiast might treat a high-performance automobile. He constantly tinkered with and customized the organ, turning it into a -a one-of-a-kind instrument. Tallman provided the tempo for casual and competitive skaters for more than two decades. And one aficionado would note, you didn't just hear the music, you could feel it. Skate guards kept decorum, and skaters often dressed in elaborate costumes performed complex artistic and dance routines. Now, the Elm was the incubator for several generations of very talented competitive skaters. Members of the Elm Skate Club participated in artistic dance and speed skating competitions sanctioned by the Roller Skate Rink Owners Association. The Elm Skate Club led its division for six years with a bumper crop of highly skilled athletic performers. In the late 60s and early 70s, roller rinks began to see a decline in attendance, but disco brought them roaring back to life. With its lush sound and four on the floor beat, disco proved very well suited to skate dancing and a new craze began. The craze ended with the 70s. 
Events like the infamous disco demolition heralded not only the end of the music, but the end of the rinks themselves. In the 1980s, attendance began to decline. The rinks were large and very difficult to maintain. Liability insurance proved harder and harder to get for a pastime that involved more than a few falls, bumps, bruises, and the occasional more serious injury. Now, the Elm temporarily closed in 1985 when it looked like the owners wouldn't be able to get liability insurance and reopened again for a few years, but in 1989, it closed its famous green doors for the last time. Today, only a handful of rinks still dot the landscape in Chicago and the suburbs, but any good skater who experienced the Elm in its heyday will tell you that none of them could hold a candle to our beloved rink. I'll say, Dave, I mean, I remember uh, skidding a few knees there, and I love that place. It was right by the miniature golf, the bowling alley, and Dispenser's Kitty Kingdom. That was like a whole entertainment campus over there. Uh, it sounds, that sounds great. You know, I was lucky enough, uh, uh, they, um, uh, Lex Lexington Square is where uh, uh, the Elm used to be, and they actually dedicated a tree uh, to Lynn Fuchs, um, uh, who's in residence there. Uh, just shy of her 100th birthday, actually. Oh, nice. And doesn't the museum have an a exhibit coming on about this? Or, I'm sorry, it's a, a, a webcast or something, right? So, yeah, we're, um, we, uh, uh, we're, we're doing a whole series of mini documentaries. These are kind of three and four minute shorts with a lot of historic footage. Uh, we've got interviews with this particular one we're about to do. And so we're going to give a short history of the Elm. And with that, you're going to get to actually hear from some of the folks that skated there in the heyday and see a lot of really cool rare pictures. So we're doing about one of these a week right now. That sounds like a lot of fun, especially for some of the people that spent some time there when they were growing up. Yeah, I wish I had seen it. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. You're listening to the E-Town Lowdown. Robbie, Rick, PK, when you don't have anything better to do. Back here on the E-Town Lowdown with my personal favorite segment, the E-Town Lowdown Mowdown where we're going to mow down Dan Cronin to his very <laughs> core. You ready for this, Dan? Yes, sir. Sun-Times or Tribune? Tribune. Lefty or righty? No, neither, but righty, I suppose. Ping-pong or pool? Oof, that's a tough one. <laughs> I like pool. Golf or tennis? Golf. Spring or fall? Fall. Restaurant or home cooking? Restaurant. Spock or Scotty? Spock. Walking or bicycling? Walking. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Cubs or socks? Cubs. Sofa or couch? Couch. Rocky Road or Cherry Garcia? I do like Cherry Garcia. Tile or hardwood? Hardwood. Wildcats or Ramblers? Uh, I like the Ramblers basketball program. Sister Jean. <laughs> Magnum P.I. or Sam Malone? Thomas Magnum. Yeah. Knights or Friars? Knights. Big city or country? Country. E-book or conventional book? Conventional book. McDonald's or Burger King? I like an Egg McMuffin. Speaking of McDonald's, how do you like your steak cooked? Uh, medium rare. Bono or Bono? Bono. Bono. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Star Wars or Star Trek? 
Star Trek. iPhone or Android? Android. Shakespeare or Harlequin? <laughs> oh, These are God. important, hard-hitting questions, Dan. Uh, I don't know. Shakespeare, just because it's Shakespeare. You're going to disappoint the ladies out there. Yeah, I don't know. That kind of stuff. Cronkite or rather? Cronkite. Your first record album? Uh, my first album? Uh, my first 45 was One is the Loneliest Number by Three Dog Night. That was uh, a cold night. I remember it well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Three Dog my Night. My first, yeah. The book or the movie? Uh, to be honest, the movie. Okay, the rubber's hitting the road here. Marianne or Ginger? Ginger. Bingo. You got the right answer. <laughs> Smart man. French fries or onion rings? French fries. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks. Favorite pizza place in Elmhurst? Roberto's. James Brown or James Taylor? James ha! Brown. Ha! <laughs> when Harry Hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are in a hot tub. Where was I? We're hit when Harry met Sally. When Harry met Sally. Or Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. Bacon or sausage? Bacon. Cubs or socks? I did say Cubs. I can say socks now. Are you going to ask him again? <laughs> Who wrote this thing? We're going to ask him until he gets it right, and now he got it right. Oh, yeah, there it is. Roosevelt or Roosevelt? Roosevelt. Appetizers or hors d'oeuvres? Orbit appetizers. Mashed potatoes or baked potatoes? I like a baked potato. Should men wear sandals? Not if they have yellow fungus <laughs> toes. Well, PK, you're out. <laughs> Hank's Corner or Hamburger Heaven? Uh, well, Hank's Corner, man. I, that's my, but they didn't really have a burger there. I go to Hamburger Heaven. I think the McDonald's. Oh, here comes a politician. In, McDonald's you know, stole their secret sauce, as you know. Really? Oh yeah, you yeah. don't think so? Oh, the the, the double Big decker, Mac, the, the Big double Mac decker sauce, was long before it. the Big Mac. Wow, and it's close I'm to lear- headquarters. I'm learning something new tonight. Uh, Thank you, Dan. Without a doubt, they stole it. Driver fly. Um, I like to fly now. I can't. My back hurts. I can't drive that. <laughs> EJ Corvettes or Sukup's Hardware. Well, I went to both. Uh, Sukup's, though, and I liked to that landing where the Santa Claus Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tort reform, yay or nay? Um, I'm a, yes, of course, tort reform, of course. Iced tea or lemonade? Iced tea. Which shoe do you put on first, left or right? Uh, whatever I can reach uh, first. I would say uh, my right foot first. Lake water or well water? Pond or pool? Um, uh, lake water. I like to swim in the lake. Uh, Fallon or Kimmel? Uh, neither, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Carson? Yeah, give me Johnny Oh, yeah, Carson. he was the best. Invisibility or super strength? I like invisibility these days. Ice tea or P. Diddy? <laughs> I like the doors. Uh, let's see. Uh, restaurant or home cooking? I like restaurant. 
My favorite restaurants in town are Roberto's. I like uh, <laughs> Prairie Cafe. Fabulous. Mimi over there makes a really fabulous um, omelet. Huh. Okay, ready? Ruby's or Leonard's? Abner or Jerry Ruby? I went to both as a kid. Uh, Leonard's, because, you know, you'd get the you get the Sansabelle pants. Yeah. Okay, last three questions. House or Senate? I like the Senate better. Favorite cryptocurrency? Bitcoin. Hmm. Sweet or salty? Salty. You uh, scored an 85 today. <laughs> That's the best score we've had in a long time. Really? Congratulations. Holy You're God. on the law review. We'll be right. <laughs> Congratulations. We'll be right back on the lowdown. Thank you. Hey, friends, this is former Elmhurst City Manager Tom Borchert. Hey, and whenever I'm back at Elmhurst, I look up at that Butterfield Park Water Tower, and I am so thankful I wasn't the one who gave him the keys to get up there. Bet my money on a Bob Dale nag. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey E-Town, it's Slappy Sal, the half Italian food critic here, with yet another food review for you. So last week, I'm over there at Roberto's Ristorante on Spring Road. It's me and my guy, Fabio Narducci, headed over for some eats. First thing right away, we see Pasquale, the boss. I says, uh, hey, Pasquale, how you doing? He says, uh, hey, Sal, how you doing? Fabio says, uh, hey, Pasquale, how you doing? Pasquale says, uh, hey, Fabio, how you doing? So, you know, it breaks up into some small talk, usual kind of stuff. Bada bing, bada boom, bada boop, veni veni vici, veni testa verdi. Uh, you know, the stuff all us Italians talk about. But enough about that. So we grab some calamari, bellissimo, it's beautiful, just the way it should be, nicely done, can't go wrong there. So Fabio grabs a Stella, I go with a Chianti, why? Because yeah, I can, and we're ready to banja, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? So for me, it's an easy call, veal scallopine. Fabio goes with the chicken Vesuvio, not for nothing, it's like being at my grandmother's on a Sunday, minus her swearing at my grandpa in Italian. Nothing's better than good veal at an Italian restaurant, and Roberto's slays it. Fabio says the chicken and potatoes are buonissimo. For those of you who aren't even half Italian, that means, you know, very good food. But we ain't done, because we can't leave without trying some pizza. Come on, I had to know if it's legit or not. I'm a sausage pizza guy, but Fabio says I gotta branch out, so as I let him order. He goes way out there. Spinach fresh tomato and garlic and i'm over there thinking que schifo you know god disgusting but what do i know it's phenomenal sometimes i'm a little stunned turns out it's a hell of a pie big wads of spinach fresh garlic tomatoes are tasty i hate to admit that that jabroni is right but it turns out fabio knows his pizza so here's the thing narducci and i agree roberto's is a true italian gem no complaints here so go check it out this is Slappy Sal, the half-Italian food critic, reporting for the Eat Town Lowdown. This is Mary Beth Harper, director of the Elmhurst Public Library, and you're listening to the Eat Town Lowdown with your hosts, Robbie and Rick. But PK is the one with all the talent. 
Back here in the two-person hot tub high atop Butterfield Park Water Tower with our, our special guest, Dan Cronin. And Dan's finally taken his one shoe off and stuck a toe in the, in the hot tub. And well, two he's people, not liking it very the much. The two-person hot tub is getting a little well, cozy. It's a, it's a little crowded <laughs> with uh, you, Malort, and I, and Dan's big toe. You're not the smallest guy, I know. <laughs> But we were just talking about how Dan was uh, running against um, Gene Hoffman. Gene Hoffman, and uh, and you won. Uh, so Gene retired, and you took over as the uh, state representative. And that was what 1991. Um, it was 1990 election, and then I was sworn in to the Illinois House in 1991. And what and what are your fond memories of that time? Um. <clears throat> So I sat in the front row with uh, my buddy Vince Persico, and um, you know uh, I remember the the uh, reporters were in this like pool, like this well that was like right there, and there were uh, lots of reporters and lots of staff and lots of activity going on, um, and. Um, I guess I learned at that time what the reason why you're in the legislature um, is not to make the easy votes, it's to make the tough votes, and I'll never forget that, yeah. So, so this is 30 years ago. Were you married already? I was a single man when I went to Springfield. Really? Yes, I was. And, and I assume you had uh, a crew that helped get you elected, but now all of a sudden you are elected and you need to have an office or a staff person or two? How does that work? Yeah, so I uh, had a storefront office on First Street in Elmhurst, um, right where um, I think uh, Leo uh, Reedy's office is there now, but it faced uh, First Avenue or First Street, right? And um, yeah, it's right next to Leo's. What, what is that? Maybe it's the, 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 uh, Oh, the, the brewery. What's it called? The, yeah, the, uh, the barbecue where the, joint. Where the multiple, yeah. multiple, yeah. Red, red, red arrow. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's why that, it's a lot bigger space, but it was a small. Were the taps there then? Yeah, well, that would have been, <laughs> been nice. <laughs> Might have helped. Yeah, and then we had the Salt Creek Railroad Society yeah, right. down, down in the below. basement. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we shared a bathroom. And, and so <laughs> on the Mondays, we'd come in after the guys had been in the playing with the railroads all weekend. And there was urine all over the seat, and the, uh, the woman that worked for me, Barb Finn, didn't really like that. So understandable, yeah. yeah. But um, and I didn't like it either. But uh, in any event, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, that was your back. office as a state representative, so people could come. Yeah, in. yeah. I had a district office, so they gave you a certain amount of money, a district allotment, so you can spend it on like one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, no, but I mean, it was it was it was it was plenty of money um, to run a little <laughs> office, you know. I mean, uh, and yeah, so you could pay rent and you could hire somebody. And your idea was constituent services, so you know, and you get uh, so you're there available. People have a problem with their social security check, or they got some problem with state government. Primarily, you're there to try to help them with that. And, um, yeah, so I did that. We had a big blue awning that we lit up. I lit up. And so everybody that, you know, would drive by there. Or what I really liked was the exposure along the train line because um, people that were on the UP West. Yeah. So I, I didn't really think that through at the time, but it was one of the benefits that I realized. Uh, was, so that, you, was that, I mean, 
did you realize that going into it, or was that one of the surprising things about the fact that you had to have an office where people come and voice their concerns? I wasn't I wasn't clear on it. I really didn't know what I was getting into when I <laughs> well, went down there. I, mean, I didn't. I wasn't presuming that, but yeah, I was thinking in my head. I I, I don't know what you do. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I yeah. didn't know. I yeah. mean, I I was young guy, and yeah. I, I was you know full of all sorts of vim and vigor, and wanted to change the world. And I went down there and. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it immensely. We How got much few- time do you spend in Elmhurst versus in Springfield? Well, let's see. Back in those days, and uh, I uh, I had a condo here, so I was like, you know, a uh, bachelor type of guy, uh, at least for a short period of time. Um uh, so I uh, I would leave, you know, back in those days, the legislature was in session January through the end of May. And typically you'd go down and work, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then, you know, you'd and then it would become four days a week, five days a week as you got closer to the deadline the end of May. And it changed a little bit um, over the time I was down there. You know, I was there for 20 years, but... It became, um, I think Blagojevich really had a profound impact on the process because it it just, it, you know, it used to be you'd start out, you go down to Springfield and you know, the session starts in January. You kind of have your kind of your, your meeting, you know, with your teammates. We'd have a retreat and we'd kind of outline what our priorities are and we want to go accomplish, you know, property tax reform or we'd want to, you know, do something for the schools or we'd have, you know, a finite list of objectives and then, you know, we'd come together and we'd work really hard on it and, you know, you'd collaborate a lot. Back in those days, you know, the, the, the conference rooms, you know, where Republicans and Democrats alike would meet and, and, you know, come together and find solutions and you'd work really hard and the whole thing had kind of a pace to it and you'd, 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 you'd stay up all night, you know, going to the end of the session, working on some bill and trying to get the support for it. And, and then, you know, May 30th at midnight, you know, you were done. And you'd go back to your lives. You'd go back to being a lawyer or a teacher. And you were practicing during that whole time, right? So how does... And so what happened was, my point is what happened was, what happened was during the course of time I was down there, people didn't go back to their lives. What happened was is it became their life. They didn't, they didn't, you know, government wasn't something, you know, that the finite, we come in, we take care of a few priorities and then we move on. You can move back to your private citizen life. No, it became this more lifestyle. And I think people kind of got to like it, you know, and, you know, what, you know, we, it doesn't end in May and we, you know, we got to stay over and there's a session and then there's a longer veto session. And, oh, by the way, you know, we we got some tickets to go to a Cubs game and, you know, and so you, so you get people wandering around the Capitol thinking great thoughts, you know, drinking wine at night and, and it, it became a full-time year-round, that's what I observed. It was not a, a part-time citizen legislature it became um, something that, that kind of lurched along month to month, year round. And I think it became less productive and it was less responsive um, to citizens and taxpayers. And so, I mean, I mean, I, at the risk of sounding, but I, I'd like to be positive about things, but I, I do think the process has deteriorated, no question yeah. about it. How does a regular Josephine or regular Joe 
serve and and work a regular job they can't right you've got to yeah. be uh and the other thing is is how the hell do you get elected nowadays i mean like i get a group of my pals together and i i raised some money and i you know i mean i took a loan out and i think we spent like forty thousand dollars or something like that when i first ran for office i mean they're they're spending two three four five hundred thousand dollars on a legislative seat nowadays and who has that kind of money and so then what happens is is that you got to go to the leadership you got to go to the the powers that be and and you know used to be mike madigan and and the d's and you know the republicans are no different you know it's both sides but you know so okay fine you don't have that kind of money um and you got to get the money from them and so when they fund your campaign scott i mean tell me do you think that you have a lot of leeway, a lot of independence when they pay for everything and you are there? I mean, it, so what's happened now is if, if, you, if there's an opening somewhere, they will actually interview candidates to see who fits the profile as a state rep or a state senator. And if you fit the profile, then the leadership will fund your campaign. And then when you get down there, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, you ask for permission because it just so there's not it's a lot less democratic. It's a lot less, uh, in my opinion. So hopefully, you know, we have some new leadership down there now. Um, we've got some really um, some good people in leadership positions. And um, and I'm hoping that the pendulum swings back and it becomes a little more democratic and um, people can be more responsive and um yeah it's just i think it's just what's happening at every level of government well, i was gonna say is that, i mean earlier you said dc is broken do you feel like that's some of the same problem yeah i see that creeping into the whole culture in state government yeah. here yeah i mean more and more partisan uh more and more driven by moneyed interests um yeah i see it it's it's there it did i mean it used to i mean to me it used to it seemed in the past that it was people that had you know uh developed themselves where they then they they decided later in life to serve community or the country by they're offering themselves up for public service but when people get involved early on because they're the mouthpiece for some group uh there's a lot of distortion that takes place yeah i mean I, I think a lot of people who are motivated in politics nowadays, I mean, there's good people, yeah, um, yeah. but, but there's also people that, that, that see and, and consume just popular, you know, media, popular culture messaging. They're not as thoughtful and they become just sort of this us against them, you know, sort of, uh, people that fight constantly. And so, you know, I mean, I, I come from a school uh, where, you know, the middle is a good place to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you go down, things the, out. You, you go down yeah. to the legislature or you go to the county boardroom and you, and you look over there and you say, hey, this is a Democrat from some, you know, and so, hey, you get to know them, what you know, makes them tick, what, what, work, what can we agree on, what can we, you know, I mean, that was the fun of it. Now it's like, you know, there's winners and losers. And, and uh, it's really, um, I really hope that we get away from this. So what, uh, what happened, what stars aligned, whether it be Tina Louise, Don Wells, whatever, <laughs> to get you, at, you, you served a term in uh, the House, and then you decided to run for state Senate. How did, how did that all happen? 
I got married to Julie, my lovely oh, wife. Oh, okay. Julie. Well, tell there us a go. little bit about that. How did you meet Julie? And- Julie, uh, she has uh, been uh, a wonderful partner. And um, so, yeah, so she's, uh, yeah, so I don't know. She 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 uh, she walked precincts with me. She was a friend. We knew each other. She was a swimmer. She swam for Oak Park River Forest High School. I swam for Fenwick. And, um, yeah, so I, I remember her um, well when I was a kid. We didn't date or anything like that, but I knew her. And then we ended up uh, standing up in a wedding together, mutual friends. And then we started to date after that. And then you I, definitely outkicked your coverage, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's no question about it. But, yeah, no, she... Most she, of us did. So, yeah, so we, so I, yeah, so then I had an opportunity to run for the Senate. I didn't really want to run for the Senate. Because um, I had just gotten to the house, and I didn't really understand this whole redistricting process. And Pete Phillip asked me to come and run for the Senate, and and uh, so yeah. And I was, you know, I was uh, seriously dating Julie, and so we talked about it. And so she let's take a shot. You know, we were having fun. We we're young, and and um, so we ended up running against this guy Ted Leverens, and he he was a tough guy. Um, tough guy he was the chairman of the senate appropriations committee he was from uh, maywood and the district that they gave me was uh was like a toss-up you know it was like i was running in maywood i was running in hillside i was running in berkeley um all the way oak park all the way up to the the 36 ward so i ran all the way to the east and and um and uh I had so much fun during that campaign, but it was it was old school. It was brutal. I mean, it was it was broken windows, slashed tires, you know, rocks. I mean, it was it was fights on front lawns. It was guys in the neighborhoods. I mean, it was it was it was good old school politics, Chicago style politics at its best. Hmm. And uh, and and uh, and I won, and it was fun. It was a hell of a lot of fun, and I helped. Uh, Pate Phillip and the Republicans captured the majority in the state Senate, which they kept for ten years. After that, my win was a was a key pickup. You know, it was a it was a win. You know, so they lost. So, I, so I they weren't supposed to get it, but we got it, and uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. And I love that whole culture. I used that's when I learned um, how to kiss another man when I represented uh, a lot of the areas in Melrose and Elmwood <laughs> Park and. And I mean, with all due respect, I mean, you know, there's a proper way to greet another uh, guy, and um, and I learned that at that time, and uh, worked with representatives. <laughs> didn't didn't see that coming. We're, we're all looking at each other like, what the hell are you talking about? We're sitting here in a hot tub. You're in a speedo. You're talking about kissing men. Well, I mean, I'm telling you, you have some old school friends from from Melrose yes. Park, and they Actually, want to greet you. I, what are you going to do? I went to a wake last night. It was an Italian family. There you go. And I got a kiss. And I mean, yeah. I had a mask on for COVID reasons. I mean, so I'm kinda, a. I believe a good hearty handshake is plenty. But, yeah, but I right. mean, once in a while. I'm actually lately. Since, it's been fist bumps. No, since COVID, I'm okay with the bow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I agree. I do that too. Yeah. The Asian cultures had it figured out right a long time ago. A little bow is just fine. So what were some of the highlights you remember that uh, of maybe some bills you worked on uh, when you were in the Senate? Or, or committees you were involved in? Or? Yeah, I was chairman of the Senate Education Committee. Um, I had a ball uh, working on Chicago school reform. Mayor Richard M. Daly was mayor at the time, and uh, his... Um, um, his chief of staff, uh, one of his key guys in his administration was a guy named Gary Chico. 
um, a good friend of mine, we, I went to law school with him. And so um, the Mayor Daley wanted to get some reform in Chicago Public Schools. It's interesting because Governor Pritzker just signed away the last piece of that reform and gave the keys entirely to the Chicago Teachers Union. But, um, <laughs> but back in those days, we wanted the, 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 the management, the leadership, the, the Chicago Board of Education that was entirely appointed at the time to be able to call the shots. And, to, and, and Richard Daley wanted to sort of minimize the power uh, collective bargaining rights of the teachers union but he didn't want to have his fingerprints on it necessarily and uh, I think I can say this at this stage of our lives um, and so I used to meet Gary Chico uh, surreptitiously um, kind of we'd meet at a restaurant or a coffee shop uh, on the west side and he'd give me language um, that, 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 that was you know that, that they found uh, that was desirable that they wanted to have in the bill and so then I'd take that language and bring it down to Springfield and so we passed the Chicago School Reform Act in 1995, which at the time was praised as a national model for public education and how to run schools in an urban environment. Um, over the years, it's been chipped away. I mean, basically, it, just, it gave a lot of autonomy to enlightened leaders who wanted to do the right thing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so interestingly, just a couple of weeks ago, I think our governor right now uh, just gave away the last piece of it. So it, I think the schools in Chicago are, are pretty much entirely run by the, the teachers union. What, um, what did that look like, that reform? Like, did it include vouchers or anything like that? I was a big promote, proponent of that, too. Um, I sponsored school choice uh, a number of times. Um, it always ran into a brick wall. Um, and uh, we pivoted at one point, and it be, the school vouchers or school choice became tuition tax credits. So if you send your child to uh, a private school, a parochial school, um, you, you, you know that you can get a $500 tax credit um, on your uh, in state income tax. Um, I sponsored that law. I, I would have, we, we, we would have liked it to be a, a voucher where you can choose to go where you, you, you wish. Uh, I think that would be good for education. Um, but um, so we get a tax credit, so you take what you can get. So, Dan, 20 years in Springfield, who were the real characters down there during the time you were there? Who were the most interesting people? Who were the. Who was the most interesting man in the world? Right. Oh, there were a lot of characters. I, re, I have so many fond memories. Uh, I mean, the leadership, you know, you had Pate Phillip and, and, and you had, uh, you know, Emil Jones. You had, uh, you had Speaker Madigan, Mike Madigan, Lee Daniels. Um, I mean, it was, it was a really a, a time with a lot of people, characters, larger-than-life personalities. I, I palled around with Skip Saviano. Uh, he was uh, my seatmate sure. at Kennedy State Rep. From were you? From, were you? You must have been there when um, Lee Daniels took the Speaker of the House from uh, Michael Madigan, right? I was. And, and was what, for, what was that all about? Because yeah, obviously that was a. It was big just thing. for one term, right? Yeah. Is that ninety right. three? Was no, it later. Uh, I think it was ninety five, ninety six. It was the ninety four election. But had, that had to be a big thing down there. Huge thing. Yeah, it's huge thing. It was a huge thing, and uh, and I thought, well, it was a huge thing. Was it? Was it thought that it was going to be a change for good, and then it didn't happen, or or? I don't think Lee had enough time. You know, and the interesting thing was that uh, the speaker is such a disciplined man such a uh, 
you know, uh, incredibly uh, hardworking, diligent. So I don't think he stepped foot out of his office during the two years that he was in the minority. He was just back there planning, working, collecting data, you know, raising money, doing whatever he had to do to get back in the majority. He couldn't stomach the thought of walking out on the House floor as a minority leader, um, which uh, kind of is instructive in and of itself. But um, a lot of characters, a lot of people that, uh, I think politics and government brings out the best in people and it brings out the worst. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a heady time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, driving back and forth, you know, and I was a young dad at that point, you know, and I, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it a lot, but it was, it was tough. It was hard. It was hard on my family. It was, it was, um, I was gone a lot. Um, you know, my, my daughter, my second daughter, Sarah, you know, I, I, you know, she knows the truth nowadays, but for years I would tell her that of course I was there, sweetheart, when you were born. But the truth is, you know, she, she, Julie, she was born prema- a little premature and I wasn't exactly ready for it. And I was stuck in Springfield and weather hmm. was bad. And, uh, I, uh, it's a good story, you know, uh, May 10th, 1995. And we were doing Chicago school reform and it was, I, I, I it was sunny in 72 that day, as I recall. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was the cloud, the, the ceiling was low. I couldn't get a plane. I couldn't get a helicopter. I couldn't get out of there at all. So I got in my car and I drove like a maniac to get there. And Julie had a little condition too. So it was a little scary. And so I'm on the phone driving like 105 miles an hour. Um, and I'm talking to Dr. Watts, who's mm. going in. He says, we can't yeah. wait any longer for you. We've got to go in and, 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 you know, we do a C-section. They're going to open her up. And, um, and I said, of course, do what you got to do, you know. But, um, but uh, and I remember I got pulled over by a Will County sheriff. Oh, jeez. And, and uh, pull out the hall pass? And I, well, I mean, I explained. I'm yeah. on the phone. My daughter, my thing, he says, okay, well, you know, I don't want you to die on your way to the yeah, child. Right. Let, here, let me help you. So <laughs> Gave you an escort? Sort of. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to keep up with him. But, <laughs> Thank you, Deputy <laughs> Fife. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, but I, I guess uh, my point is that, you know, you think back on it when you're a young guy and, you know, you're, you're, you're working hard and you're, I mean, all of you guys and your listeners, I mean, when you're young, you feel like you're indestructible and, and you're just so consumed by what you're doing. And sometimes you forget, you know, when you're, you're a young dad and, you know, you got kids and you're trying to be, and, and it just was one of the most rewarding periods of time in my life. And, and, and I just look back on it, and I, 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 I'm grateful to my lovely wife, uh, who really uh, kept, you know, things, uh, kept the ship in order at home, and, and uh, I was able to do what I could do, and, and um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. Did um, Pate retire while you were still a senator, or was that after you were out of the Senate? Yeah, he did. He retired, and then he came back for a brief moment. It was kind of awkward, and uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was in the minority. He was like walking around, you know. And and uh, but yeah, when Emil Jones became the Senate president, when they got the majority in what was it, two thousand and two thousand and two, I believe. Um, and then Pate, uh, you know, I don't. He wasn't built to. Although he had thrived in the minority, but once you're in the majority, it's pretty hard to go back and. He had a pretty uh, accomplished career at that point, and so um, he was there for a little while, and then he stepped aside, and um, it's 
the name of the guy that he appointed in his place was a really a gentleman of a fellow. What's his name? Uh, Floyd uh, Sanford. Floyd's sounds right. Take yeah. your word for it. Yeah. So one of my really good friends from my childhood, his name is Julius Caesar, and he had a saying <laughs> that no good emperor grooms a successor. Did did Pate ever groom a successor for your party? Well, now you're asking kind of a sensitive question, and Pate's still alive and he's got family, but I do think one of the shortcomings, with all due respect to those folks, is that back in those days, uh, and I think it's true um, on both sides of the aisle historically, but... I, I think the game in those days for those guys was to just hold on to power as long as you can and keep everybody else down. And I don't think that um, that they did as good a job. And it's easy to be, you know, Monday morning quarterback and look back. But grooming young people um, and, and recognizing talented people, people that are right for the community, people, I think that's a big part of your responsibility. And I'm sure Pate did that uh, in his own way. But I, I think you have to really make an effort in these days uh, to really find people, bring people up, not just in the last year of your public service, during the course of your career, constantly bring in people and, and promote them and try to help them succeed. And, um, you know, DuPage was a solid Republican area at that time. And so, you know, I'm not sure it was more intra-party fighting um, and not as much focus on, you know, let's put the best players on the field, let's think about the future, where do we need to go, who do we need to be, you know, who are the guys that are going to, and ladies and men that are going to lead us. I, I'm not sure. And, of course, it's easy to look back and say that with the benefit of hindsight, but I and and I think I think anybody in public service, and I think anybody in any leadership position, I think it's incumbent upon them to find good people to to take the carry on and and pass the the ball off to them to, so that they can run with it. You know. So you served down in Springfield about twenty years, and then you decided to run for county board chair. How did that all come about? Um, I, uh, I, I wanted to, I, I, I don't know. I felt like I needed a change. I think 20 years is enough time for anybody in any position, um, any career position. But I, 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 uh, I just felt like I needed to move on. Um, there was an opportunity. I, I also was frustrated in Springfield. Um, some of the things that I wanted to do just didn't get done. And, you know, you could talk about them a lot and put out press releases and talk about how you're fighting for this cause, you're fighting for that cause. But it seemed meaningless or empty to me after a while to be talking about it and, like, you know, projecting who you are because this is what you would like to do, you know. I'd like to actually do them. So coming to DuPage, you know, the beauty of this level of government is you can get your arms around it. You can have a meeting on a Monday morning and set out, you know, sort of an objective. You know, this is what we want to accomplish. And by the end of the week, you know, you can look at it and you can see progress. And, and I, I found that very satisfying. I really, enjoy, really, really enjoyed uh, serving as chairman of the county board. It's been a wonderful uh, public service uh, Who experience. was your predecessor? Bob Schillerstrom. And he decided not to run again? That's correct. And and what what would you say uh, sums up your time as the as the board chairman? I mean, I, actually, looking at my notes here, you were uh, initiated the 
uh, Act Initiative. Yeah, right? that so was, tell us about that. So yeah, I, I think that's one of my things that I like. I'm proud of. So Act Initiative, accountability, consolidation, transparency. So I was really, really uh, committed to, and I think I'm proud that we were able to achieve some measure of success in abolishing government, getting rid of units of government. I mean, like, so we know. I mean. It, Illinois has this dubious distinction. We have more units of local government in the state of Illinois than any other state in, yeah. the, in the union. I mean, wow. like by far. More than California. Yes, it's just it's just stunning how much government we have here, and and you know, so, no surprise, we got the most number of units of government, and we also have the highest property taxes in the nation because yeah. you got to got to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, well, all these different units and. Everybody's got a board, and they've got a they've got a legal counsel, and they've got a HR guy, and they've got an insurance guy, and they, I mean, there's bureaucracy. It just comes with the territory. So, so we were able to uh, eliminate seven units of government as one county agency, um, and believe me, it was very difficult to get rid of seven. Right. Um, but I like to say, I mean, there's 102 counties in the state of Illinois, if every county in the state of Illinois got rid of seven units of government, that'd be 700. And, and that would be a serious dent in our, in, in, in all of it. And I, I, I think we, we did some good things. We, we got rid of sort of pension spiking and we did a lot of, we, we did some good reforms, good economic fiscal reform measures. Now, for some reason or other, in this climate today, this political climate, I think people care little about that, it, the whole paradigm, the whole perspective about what's important to people in politics. It, un, unfortunately, I, I think it still is important to people, but it doesn't get very much attention anymore. So we, we've, we've turned to a lot more other sort of social issues and, um, you, know, you know, bread and butter issues pocketbook issues are not nearly as important. At least they don't seem to be. Uh, I think they are, uh, but uh, it doesn't get much attention. So the last 14 months, I'm sure you've spent more time than you ever thought you would on one issue, and that was COVID. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some of the successes that you've had at the county level as it relates to COVID vaccines, whatever, and maybe some of your frustrations yeah, thanks, Rich. Yeah, it has been uh, just an incredibly all-consuming, uh, you know, issue, and uh, just twenty-four-seven and stressful, upsetting, difficult, maddening, uh, infuriating. Uh, you know, I mean, every emotion that you can possibly uh, experience, and, and everybody has experienced that at the county. I think. The COVID really shined the spotlight on county government because we were charged with the responsibility of, of, of handling, um, you know, the testing, the monitoring, the reporting, um, and now the vaccinations. And so um, it was a great opportunity, I think, in, in many respects for, for me and for DuPage to show who we are because uh, DuPage County Health Department has led the state. We led the state in testing. We led the state in all of our protocols. We led the state. We had the document that the state, you know, sort of copied for, you know, opening up the economy and the phases, and we, we developed that document. Um, we have vaccinated far more people. We are positive, you know, so I'm proud of what we've done. We, we, we really, and it's not because of me. 
It's because, it's because of the, the fertile soil and the yeah. trees that grow here, right? Well, I'll tell I you mean, what really, it is. I mean, really, take credit where credit's due. It's government. It, it, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is, is our philosophy of government out here because, because we didn't view it as some sort of bureaucratic government obligation. We partnered with 110 different private health care providers, health care partners from DuPage Medical Group to Edward Elmhurst Hospital to CDH. We, we partnered with 110 different, um, at least on the vaccination side of it all. And, you know, the governor would call me and say, you know, hey, hey Cronin, you know, let's let's do, you know, we're, we're ready to do a mass vaccination site in DuPage County. And I was like, well, well why? Why do you want to do that? He said, well, yeah, well, we can come. I said, do you have extra vaccine? He says, oh, no, we don't have any extra vaccine. But, you know, he wants to come out, <laughs> and he wants to take some pictures and shake hands at a mass vaccine. I said, listen, what am I going to tell Don Hoshite at the DuPage Medical Group, who's already hired 60 new employees to help vaccinate people in the community? And I'm going to say, we're going to put up a mass vaccination site next to one of your yeah, health care right. uh, facilities, and, and you guys are going to be standing around twiddling your thumbs, and, and the governor's going to be over here with... I said, no, I mean, if you bring more vaccine, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. If you're going to bring 10,000 new doses, yeah, let's have a mass vaccination site. But otherwise, we have a really, really, I mean, we did our homework. We had the distribution system in place. We had healthcare professionals. You know, we have, we're fortunate that we have a fairly well-educated community here in DuPage County. People understood the value of testing. People understood you know, the need to mask and take appropriate precautions. Um, and, and, and so I think we benefited from all of that. I also am proud of the fact that we were very reasonable. We understood, and I think we struck the right balance, I would say. I'm sure there are people that may disagree with me, but, you know, we weren't shutting down businesses unless they were flagrant, unless they were causing, you know, uh, the spread of COVID, and we could document that there were, that there were events coming from their places of business. We, we, did, we struck the right balance. We allowed people to, to you know, pursue their livelihoods, and yet at the same time, I believe that we always had the health and safety and welfare of the community for foremost in, in our policy and in our practices. And so I, I'm benefited from a wonderful leadership team. Karen Ayala, our executive director, is just a marvelous person and just smart and so diligent, constantly working. Dr. Rajmi Chug, our, our, um, our medical director, you know, our healthcare partners. Um, we really, I think, uh, if there was a book to be written about the pandemic experience, uh, I would expect that DuPage County uh, is the featured chapter as the model for how to address a pandemic in the future. Has it changed the way that you'll operate in the future? The pandemic, have you learned some lessons like a lot of businesses have? I know you're not a business per se, but you try and run it like a business. Hell yeah, we try to run it like a business. And I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, God help us that we don't have another pandemic anytime soon. But I also think, uh, it, yeah, there's some important lessons. And I've, I've, I, I started out taking a lot of notes and trying to catalog a lot of the things that we do. And I think that's an important part of our exercise to make sure that we try to make sure that we make a record and we, 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 we have uh, best practices. 
um, because I have a sneaking suspicion that this isn't going to be the last pandemic in our lifetime. I, I think this is going to happen again, unfortunately, but I think we'll be better prepared the next time around. Uh, I won't be here, <laughs> uh, at least not in this position, because I, I don't think it happens anytime soon. But uh, but I, I do think we have an obligation to try to help. You know, if, if you go back and you, you try to read about the pandemic of 1918, which was commonly referred to as the Spanish flu, I was sort of stunned at how what a dearth, what a shortage of, of supply of literature there is about it. And 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 there's there's a couple of books John Barry wrote, you know, the great pandemic, but but there's very shortage and, and I think one of the reasons is is aside from the fact that it was a different culture in those days, people were used to dying from influenza and they had you know, they had the world wars that they went right between, but also because it was such an god awful experience, nobody wanted to think about it anymore. And and I, I certainly understand that because it's really hard to try to develop a manual for our experience this time around because it's been so painful. Hi, this is Jack Island of the Silverado Grill. My definition of a great evening is yoga, Maryland crab cakes, and eat down lowdown with Robbie, Rick, and PK. Well, yoga and crab cakes. How are you? And welcome to another edition of Fridays with Farchie, where we believe it's always Friday somewhere. I am your host, Spencer Alexander Lagerfeld the pride of the Upper East Side, and all of Manhattan, really. As always, I am joined by Dr. Anthony Farchi, Senior Yeast and Microbiology Fellow at Ronald's Institut de la Fromage in Luxembourg. Today, Dr. Farchi and his team have some important new COVID research to share with us. Welcome to Fridays with Farchi, Dr. Farchi. Yeah, thank you. I understand you have conducted some new experiments and made some further conclusions regarding mask effectiveness in preventing the spread of the novel coronavirus. Please enlighten us on your important European research, Dr. Farchi. European research? I haven't been to Europe since my Bubby's fourth husband died in an unfortunate bagel slicing accident. But you are a senior fellow at Ronald's Institut de la Fromage in Luxembourg, are you not? I'm the bacteria guy here at Ron's Cheese House in Luxembourg, Wisconsin. You know, just down the road from the BP next to Don's Bakery. Oh, the delicious chocolate raisin babka. Mmm. Well, in that case, please share your recent research from Ron's Cheese House. This isn't research conducted at Ron's Cheese House. It was a very controlled environment at Augie's Bar and Grill controlled environment? Yeah, no Bears fans. That's the law at Augie's. Are you referring to the Augustus Bistro in Auckland? Because there are no Bears native to New Zealand that I'm aware of. Absolutely not. I'm talking about Augie's. It's in Luxembourg, just uh, 20 miles north of Denmark. Ah, yes. Sweden, just a ferry ride north of Copenhagen. This has absolutely nothing to do with chewing tobacco. I can assure you, so leave your Copenhagen in the tent. And for the record, Denmark is just down the Interstate 43 from De Pere. But most importantly, my crack team's most recent research confirms our previous findings. Masks are completely ineffective in stopping coronavirus particles. You are still studying the effects of undergarments on coronavirus particles? No, this is even better. (sighs) You're going to have to explain again. Are you a pointer or a squatter? I beg your pardon, sir? Do you sit or stand when draining the spotted cow trough? 
I stand in gentlemanly fashion, but what does any of this have to do with mask effectiveness? Oi vey, I'm getting there. Asparagus or beets? What? Your favorite accompaniment to a medium rare ribeye. What do you order at the supper club, asparagus or beets? Uh, asparagus, I guess. So tell me, you had two of Mrs. Diamond's brandy old fashions at the bar before dinner. It's hard to only have two, you know. You wash down about three quarters of that delicious ribeye with a couple spotted cows. You got some of that, you know, bloat going on. You know, you got to make room for, like, your next cold one, right? So you excuse yourself and schlep over to the little boy's room. Of course, you've left your table, so you pull that old mask up to satisfy the germ police. This conversation is making me very uncomfortable. I truly hope none of the other members of the esteemed Metropolitan Club hear this interview. Cripes, come on, stay with me. Sorry, Doctor. Uh, Onwards and upwards. So you're standing there at the porcelain altar, mask and all, and boom, there it is. You almost forgot. Yes, you bet, you had some of the best prime beef Kewanee County has to offer. But you also had some of that delicious asparagus fried in Lambo Leap lard. Can you smell it? Smell what exactly? Asparagus? Well, I never... Come on, can you smell it? This is science. Can you smell it? Yes, 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 I admit it. I can smell it, well, most of the time. But I don't understand where you're going with this. Look, my crack team has figured out that nobody who's had the asparagus at Augie's has ever gotten sick with the COVID. However, 100% of the guys who had the asparagus also converted the aspergustic acid to stinky sulfur-containing chemicals that made those urinals reek. So following standard scientific research methodologies, of course, if you eat asparagus, then you will flush the virus and its odor right out of your body and into the toity. Well, and Mrs. D's old fashions are key also. Kind of a catalyst of sorts. It's science, plain and simple. So are you telling me with 100% certainty that if my urine has an asparagus odor, it's really the COVID exiting my body through my digestive tract? Now you're catching on, Skippy. And that mask did nothing to stop those little asparagus-infested urine particles from entering your respiratory system. Tomato, tomato, corona particle, asparagus corpuscle. It's all the same. It's science. I'm as certain of that as I am that Aaron Rodgers will be canonized. And I'm over 85% Jewish. Dr. Farchi. With the election over, are you worried that Biden and Harris will no longer fund your research? I don't know who this Biden fella is, and neither does he, by the way. But I have no worries with Harris. Mark Harris is a good man. He did a bang-up job as the mayor of uh, Oshkosh over there, you know, by the lake. I used to see him at services when he went to Bethel Synagogue in Sheboygan. Good man, Mark Harris. Good man. This has been Spencer Alexander Lagerfeld with another confusing and extremely troubling edition of Fridays with Fauci, or uh, Fartchi, with our guest, Dr. Anthony Fartchi. Thank you, I think, Dr. Fartchi. The opinions heard in this program are not to be construed as the opinions of the lowdown or its personalities. This installment has been brought to you by the good folks at Lynn Dickey's Quarterback Academies with locations in both Bellevue, Swamico, and of course, the headquarters location on Oneida Street in Titletown. Thank you, and good night. Hello, Pete Kruger here from the Elmhurst Independent Newspaper. When I want a good laugh, I listen to E-Town 
Lowdown, even though Rick, Robbie, and PK podcast from a hot tub, they're three cool dudes. We want to kind of ask you some general questions about some issues that are going on in our nation and just kind of get your take on it. But before that, I want to ask you straight up, when is your term up and do you plan to run again? My term is up and uh, I finished this term of office in, in December of 2022 and I have not decided whether or not I will run again. I may, I may not. Okay. I'm going to ask some of the some of the can, questions about his. Uh, can I ask the chairman a softball question? Sure, before sure. he, he gets loves started. softball. I mean, we're asking him hard hitting things, COVID and whatnot. Very and, serious. And I want to lob you a softball because I really want you to hit <laughs> this one out of the park. I'll try. I know this is up your alley. I've seen you speak publicly about it more than once. In fact, I see it annually, if not more often than that. Economic development in DuPage County and the Choose DuPage organization. The, the county's economic development arm and your colleagues there like Greg Beadalov. Brag a little bit, Dan, because oh. they're, they're doing a fantastic job. Well, Scott, thank you. They really are. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm really, I mean, I keep saying it, but and it sounds trite, I'm sure, to some folks. But we have a public-private partnership, Choose to Page. Um, and uh, Greg Betteloff is uh, is the, uh, the president, and and he uh, has really assembled an all star cast. We have great folks, leaders from Fortune 500 companies, and um, what we did, especially with regard to the pandemic, we pumped out tens of millions of dollars in the shortest period of time. We came, I think, to the rescue of many restaurants, small businesses with these loans that were forgiven. Um, I, I love Choose DuPage. You know, I used to think when I was a younger guy that, you know, what is government going to do to help businesses just get out of their way? You know what I mean? And and I know that there, you have to have a healthy dose of that, that sort of sentiment going into, you know, business support from a government perspective but the world is so complicated these days whether it's you know export import whether it's transportation whether i mean there's fees there's government every step of the way you gotta have an advocacy for business in the county and yes scott thank you they do such a nice job i'm so proud of them um i i i'm i i'm gonna be getting together with greg on thursday and we're going to be discussing um kind of our latest venture um we're trying to merge or at least come up with some sort of a, a, a model uh, with the DuPage County Visitors Bureau because I think there's a lot of overlap with with uh, with um, visitors and and uh, hospitality and and, uh, and 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 business right so what you know somebody who wants to go and visit a place is the same place that somebody's going to want to go locate their business right so so I'm really proud and you know they operate uh, in a way that you know we're not we're not getting on the evening news, but let me assure you, there's a lot of businesses that have been quietly relocating to DuPage County because they find it far more desirable to do business out here than um, places to the east. Well, speaking of complicated issues, uh, where do you see the everything going with with the whole weed issue, oh. marijuana? Well, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I guess the the revenue is uh, off the charts. Um, yeah. 
you know, I don't really care one way or the other. I mean, I just, the only thing I concern about is safety. You know, people aren't like getting behind the wheel of a car while they're sure. under the influence and, and like, you know, and I, I don't, I think it's become mainstream now. I mean, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that uh, there's any strong objection on my part. Um, the question is, how do you, how do you regulate it? Um, how do you how do you appropriately incorporate it into your society? I'm not, not a fan of it in Elmhurst. I really, you know, I don't. I, I just, you know, I mean, it's not the end of the world if they figure out that they want to have it here. But I, I just, generally speaking, um, you know, I don't know. It's hard to get rid of it, but you, so you got to figure out how to deal with it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And safety. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you talk to our state's attorney and you talk to the sheriff and. You know, it's it's hard to prosecute somebody who's driving under the influence of 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 marijuana. Yeah. Um, and I'm not looking to punish somebody, but I just I just don't want this this, this to hurt guy yeah, yeah crossing over the center line because they're right. too stoned and they kill somebody. Right. What do you think the chances of it being uh, legal federally are in the next four or five years? Uh, I I think they're probably pretty good. Although Biden did say he's against it, he put that marker out there, which I was surprised that he said that. I find it interesting, and it you know one of the, the things I always have a problem with is, I, I think there are a lot of states that don't have any laws against hijacking an airplane. There are federal laws that keep us from hijacking an airplane, but we don't hijack an airplane. But there are federal laws against pot, but we seem to say, oh, it's legal here. Well, it really isn't. There's still a federal law against it. Right. And you can't bank it, which is a real problem because there's all this cash lying right. around. Right, yeah. It's a, a banker, security yeah. problem. Right, right. And it, uh, it's it got to get reconciled somewhere along the line. I mean, it's insanity. You go to the airports, you know, and it, it just, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole point of it is there are people that smoke dope or or ingest it and they do it responsibly in the privacy of their home and they go out to dinner with their wife or their friends and they take an uber and 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 that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but you know government is not usually there for responsible people they don't they don't need government government is there for for morons and people that don't <laughs> behave responsibly. And so that's what my job is to think about people that are not going to uh, take and enjoy marijuana responsibly. And so what do we have to do as a society to protect our community from those that don't? And that's the problem with it. So do you think politics is becoming a very dangerous job as it relates to a few things? One, a whole bunch of ex-governors being jailed in our state. And two, some pretty other, pretty significant other politicians in our state that have been prosecuted. Has it become political to the point where it's dangerous to be in politics? I don't know. I, I, I think that people who are in it for a while, and I've been in it for a while, I, I, I just, I, 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 think, I, I think everything has a life. And I think you come, you make your contribution, you do what you can, you move on. Um, yeah, it's disappointing to see folks that, uh, you know, that don't observe the lines between proper behavior and improper behavior. And so, yeah, I mean, I've witnessed it for many years. Um, yeah, so I, it's, a, it's a sad sort of uh, commentary on the state of Illinois and our history here. And um, 
I, uh, I think that's why we have to recruit good, talented, virtuous young people to come and get into the business and take on the mantle of public office and leadership for our future. I've heard you say that uh, our county's tough on crime, and that's a good thing. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but I think I've heard you say that. How do you feel about these, these jurisdictions around the country that are ticketing folks that commit pretty heinous crimes? Ticketing? Ticketing, where they're not even arresting them. Yeah, I know. Stealing they're, they're things. Decriminalizing. I know you have to steal over $1,000 from a store in Chicago before Kim Fox will prosecute you. I, I think this whole movement uh, as of late where, um, you know, defendants and, and uh, people that commit crime are cast as the more sympathetic characters and 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 people forget about victims they forget about the need to have a community that has faith and trust and confidence i mean i i just it's it's probably the most alarming thing that i see and that i think we are all experiencing lately and it's uh i i'm really proud that dupage county has a a very very impressive history of strong effective law enforcement we're you know i got to remind people we you know we're we're known as tough on on crime and and that's a good thing when you when you have gangbangers that are in custody who are recorded as saying to a fellow gangbanger just know where the boundary line is. You don't want to get caught in DuPage County. We have that. Um, that's a good thing. It's also a good thing that in the entire time that I've been uh, chairman since 2010, our sheriff's police have not had one complaint of excessive use of force. Our policemen in DuPage County and the sheriff's office are well-trained. They know how to de-escalate. They know how to recognize mental illness. Um, you know, I, I mean, so you, you have all this anti-police sentiment. You have, um, and, and there have been some horrific cases, of course, and they're the exception. They're not the rule. But here in DuPage County, um, the law enforcement community, are, are, they're professionals, um, and um, we have not had an experience um, that you see in other parts in the country. And, and for that, I think we, it's something to be proud of. What do you think about defunding police? Oh, I think it's crazy. It's just crazy. But it's a popular culture nowadays, you know? It, yeah, it's a buzzword right now. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just insanity. People don't think when they say those words. They just don't think. Well, they don't even know what it means. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I, I, my expectation is that this is a phase that will pass, that the popular culture, I mean, Look, it, I'm stunned at the, the, the media. I, 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 I got to believe that most people, most, you know, semi-informed you know, people can see that the media is, it doesn't engage in objective reporting anymore, that it's all advocacy. And, I mean, it's stunning to me how virtually irrelevant legacy media is um you know newspapers and magazines and tv network tv how stunningly irrelevant they are to people that are under 30 years old they get virtually none of their news from those organizations right and you know when i pick up and i read the tribune 
and I'll, I'll just the headlines of different articles and I say, yeah, I know why people are not reading you anymore because it's difficult for me to read this anymore, you know? If it wasn't for John Cass, I'd probably cancel my <laughs> Tribune subscription. So we're, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You, was, you wouldn't be alone, by the way, yeah. with the John Cass comment. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah. I just can't. I mean, it's just stunning to me, and they're just so tone deaf. I I, I read something. I, it's just every day there's an example of just pure bias. Where, where, do you, where do you see the Republican Party going? In Illinois or nationally? Both. Uh, in Illinois, I think it's going to continue to be a struggle. Um you know, uh, I know we have a party, new party chairman, um, this Don Tracy, pretty good guy. Um, you know, there may be some opportunities. I think there definitely are opportunities for, like, Jimmy Durkin to pick up some seats in the Illinois House. Um, and so I have to remain optimistic and positive, not just because I have to, but because I think there's good reason to be. But, but I think this state, you know, uh, has really transformed um, and... Uh, you know, I, 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 while I think it's 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 a blue state, um, I was encouraged to see that folks resoundingly voted no on that tax proposal that Pritzker was pushing. I was pleased to see that people uh, looked at that critically. So, I mean, I guess when there's resources to tell the other side of the story. Um, that there is some hope that people will make the right decision. Right now, um, although I do think there's some opportunities uh, to pick up seats and to become more of a relevant player in state politics, I think, generally speaking, the advantage with the money is huge. I mean, first of all, you got Pritzker. He's a multi-billionaire. Yeah. I mean, he has enough money that he can define his opponent, whether it's not whether or not it's even true, it doesn't matter. Um, and so that's really intimidating for anybody to even consider running against him. Um, he's got so much money. Um, and I think, you know, the media is so friendly uh, here, generally speaking. Um, everywhere the media is friendly to, to more left-leaning philosophy of life. And so I, I, so I think the cards are kind of stacked. But I, that's not to say that there aren't opportunities here. I think DuPage County, I believe DuPage County is a jump ball. This is not a Republican county anymore like it used to be, but it is not a Democratic county either. I believe that, it's, that, that a good candidate from the Republican side of the aisle can, can be elected here. You just got to work. It's not Rick, like Rick, you got any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, <laughs> what, what? No. so let, let – you're, at some point in time, you're going to decide not to run again, whether it's 2022, 2048, or whenever the heck it is. Are you going to try and groom somebody? Absolutely. That's my job. That's my responsibility. Absolutely. Well, do it the right way, not you know somebody. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when you do get there, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Um. I have a law practice. Uh, I am very engaged in my law practice. I find it very rewarding. Um, uh, I like going over there. I like the practice of law. I like, you know, my daughter works with me now. I, that's a lot of fun to see her sitting in the office next to me. Um, you know, I, uh, I enjoy the, the, the kind of the collegiality of it. And, and uh, you know, I think I, I, I like the idea of being able to manage my time a little bit more if I don't run for office. 
Um, I like being able to do some of the things that I'd like to do. Um, you know, um, I'd like to serve on some some boards. You know, non for profits. I just recently uh, I'm going to be serving. I, I believe. I, I hope I'm not getting talking out of turn here. I don't know if they, they voted me in yet, but I want to, and I'm. I believe that I'm going to be serving on the 100 Club of Illinois. It's a fabulous organization devoted to to supporting families of fallen police officers. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to serving in that capacity. And um, you know, I uh, you know I have some ideas about what I'd like to do. I like Julie and I like to go to the national parks. We like we like to we like to <laughs> give us to a couple of your favorites. Oh, Yosemite is just spectacular. I'm going to Yosemite in four weeks. Yeah, four yeah. Four weeks from today, I will be in Yosemite. Yeah, it's spectacular. You'll love it. You'll love it. Just the sheer, you know, magnitude of these these vertical rock formations, and and uh, it was a just a spectacular experience there. You know, I mean, hell, I like going to the Indiana Dunes. I mean, I go up there frequently. I, I like that whole area. There's some areas the bog area where it looks like it's prehistoric looks like you could see dinosaurs often so do you go stay in the five-star hotel and then drive there every day or what what's your mo as it relates like to, to be right in the park question. they like to be uh, well, that's a fair question you know, I like you're to not have, sleeping out under hey, the stars, are you, maybe Dan? He enjoys uh, a little well, comfort. There's nothing I, wrong with that. You guys are serving scotch here. I like to have a nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a foofy guy. I, li I like camping. My wife's going down the Colorado River. It's a it's a women's uh, ladies trip. Young women in my family. So my my wife Julie and two of my daughters and my sisters, they're all going down the Colorado River. Um, it's a fabulous. What stretch, approximately? Uh, the lower stretch. So um, some of the more in in Mexico. <laughs> well, New Mexico, Arizona. I think they come out near. Um, they're close to Las Vegas when they come out. So, okay. Yeah. So the probably the far end of the canyon, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Where some of the most uh, vigorous uh, rapids, rapids are. Oh, cool. Yeah. See, and I can vouch for Dan here because Dan, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the last time we saw each other? I don't. At the Blue Oyster Bar? Similar. <laughs> Not quite. It, there was a bar involved. It was in a canoe. The Fox River Dells. Oh, yeah, Is yeah, this a, yeah Dan and Julie yeah. with the oh, Conservation you went on, Foundation. You went on that. That's yeah. a great yeah. trip, isn't it? I uh -huh. love that trip. And they are good with a boat. So You're I right, can, Scott. That's I, right. I can, I can we vouch for that. And that little uh, bar that had the, the pizza yep, and right the toaster the oven right there at the, the end. end. That's yeah. Right. yeah, did you do that, Rich? I have. I've done it. It's great. C&M Canoe. And Brooke McDonald was our tour guide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great trip. I yep. like that a lot. Yeah, I enjoyed that kind of thing. I like the nature. I think you get out there and it makes you feel, I don't know, healthier. So you mentioned uh, Julie several times and your daughters. Tell us about your kids and your family, what they're up to. Yeah, so Julie uh, and I, we just uh, celebrated our 29th anniversary last weekend. Congratulations. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, we have four children. So Elizabeth's my oldest. She's 27. And she uh, uh, is a lawyer. She was an English literature major, and she practices law with me. She graduated from Loyola Law School and went to Dominican University. She's really smart, and um, and um, and I think she's interested. Uh, she's very interested in animals. She's very devoted. She works at the Ray Graham Association um, and the animal caretaker awesome. over there at the uh, Hanson Center, and. 
and she's uh, she's very much into that, um, and I think she may want to embrace a, a second career in life after she practices or animal law. As a, as a I don't know if there's such a thing as animal law, but animal husbandry there is. <laughs> there's animal. <laughs> I'll take your word for no, that. But there's yeah. animal law after the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, yeah, yeah really, right. Baby. Exactly. Yeah. She you knows can, all uh, that stuff. Defend Baffert yeah. or something like that. Yeah, no, she. I think she's interested in getting a DVM. And then my daughter Sarah, she's awesome. She's, uh, she just graduated. I don't know how this happened, but she's she just graduated from law school too. I didn't promote it. I didn't push them to go to law school, but I think they saw what their old man did, and uh, they they understood it and was familiar to them. And so Sarah is just awesome. She's a beautiful uh, young woman. She just graduated from. Uh, University of Illinois, uh, John Marshall School of Law, and uh, she works at the Illinois Commerce Commission, and she's got a very uh, high-powered, uh, important job, and she enjoys it, and she's doing very well, and I'm very proud of her. And then my daughter, Gracie. Uh, Gracie uh, graduated from ND, and she ran track, and she was a state champion in said high North school. Dakota? That'd yeah. Be, <laughs> at North Dakota over right there, right? Bismarck? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, she's a fun-loving kid. I, I she cracks me up and she's um she's uh she just started working at a at a PR firm in Chicago called Res Publica. Res Publica. It's a pretty reputable place and she's uh, very challenging and she's enjoying it and I'm very proud of her. She's doing great. And then my youngest Danny boy, he's yeah. a freshman at Dartmouth and um, fine football player yeah yeah and he's fine he's, young man yes, yes he's a fine young man and so he's put on weight and he's fast bigger faster Actually, stronger he, so he had to deal with the whole COVID situation as a freshman right yeah so he's spent most of his school year here at home so he's really looking forward to next year well yeah <laughs> but it's a fabulous school and they have a fabulous fabulous football program i love the coaches um, and I, Danny loves his teammates, and the community of students is just yeah, wonderful. Yeah, be awesome. And yeah, and yeah. Uh, and it's a beautiful Tough start, great ride, beautiful yeah. setting up there yeah. in the in the woods. Um, Where'd uh, you and Julie come up with that name for him? Danny boy. There's Dan. <laughs> Daniel Danny. My mom uh, was very uh, influential in naming him Danny Junior. Daniel John Cronin Junior. I wanted to name him Daniel Patrick. So the J is for John. Daniel John, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, any uh, great hobbies you have? What do you enjoy doing? Podcasting. When you when you kick back, what do you really like to do? Uh, I like napping. Um, <laughs> I like. Uh, you mentioned national parks, so we got that one. Yeah, already. I like to play golf. Uh, I, I wish I was a better golfer, but I like to play. What's golf. your index? Um, eleven. Put you on the spot. Yeah, eleven point four or something like that. I'm a fourteen Check that. handicap. Check that, Rick. Twelve. Eleven point four. Maybe twelve. Do you I, keep track of all your strokes? I do. Okay, I good. do. I haven't played a full round, uh, and I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I will. I'm going to play on Thursday. I'm looking for forward you. to that. Good for you. Yeah, I saw you over there at the plate. I don't know. Yeah, we got to get out. Talking about Malort. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. No, I like golf. I, I like. Uh, 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 I like. I take a lot of walks with the dogs. Julie and I, we go for walks. Um, dogs? What kind of dogs you get? We got two dogs. We got a, a, a Labrador and a, a, a Karma. She's a beloved lab. She She's beautiful, um, but she she's approaching 12. Not but, she's approaching 12. And uh, she went through uh, a really, really serious uh, medical situation to the point where we, we were going to put her down. We had actually talked to the wow. service that was going to come to the house. 
And so we're thinking about renaming Karma. We're not going to call her Karma anymore. We're thinking about naming her Lazarus because now <laughs> she is like you wouldn't know that she was on her deathbed. She had a cervical spine issue, and she her hind legs were basically paralyzed, Ooh. and I had to we were carrying around everywhere. So she rose from the dead, is what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Well, and then we have another dog. We have a little rescue dog. She's a funny little dog. She sleeps on my bed every night, and she's. <laughs> She's nervous. She's a little nervous. You know, there was some banging going on in the streets. Well, I'd be nervous sleeping in your bed too. (laughs) (laughs) So one last question. Yes, sir. Um, And the answer cannot be your wife. And we don't want a political answer. We want the actual answer. You're in a bunker, uh, you know, in the middle of a bad war situation. Who do you want with you? Who? Uh, and I can't say my wife. No. You just did, but that's not the right answer. You, you I mean, gave, you, you she appreciates your... the fact that you mentioned her. Nick Kottmeyer. Nick Kottmeyer. And, and why? Chief, chief Administrative Officer at the county because he's very resourceful. He's very smart. He's a problem solver. If I'm stuck. MacGyver. Yeah, yeah. MacGyver kind of guy. Yeah. Does he have either like a, like a leatherman like a or a Swiss knife? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I knew it. He's one of those kind of guys. He just, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like Malort's son, who's getting his eagle, eagle. Uh, that's right certification yeah. on Sunday. As a matter of that's fact, that's awesome. That's right. Great and accomplishment. Enormous amount of Thank respect you. for that. That's fabulous. Luke Lamort. Good, good. Little sassy on the video games, but a great accomplishment. He's a good boy. Dan, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. And I hope you'll come back. Yes, yes. Like in 2048 yeah, when you decide to re- now because retire we, from... We, we thoroughly examined everything. I'm not going to have anything more to say when I come back. But <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. This we appreciate awesome. it. Had it was a good an time. honor to be here. Thank, thank you. you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter.